Welcome to Uniting Heal America with Matt Mattern. My name is Tagore Subramanyam. I'll be sitting in for Matt today. We have a great show today. We have Chris Cannon from the Los Angeles Port Authority. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, Chris, you are the Director of Environmental Management at the Port of Los Angeles. What, what does that mean? Uh, it just means that I have a, a whole group of people that I work with to help uh, uh, manage all the environmental issues we have at the port. We have uh, investigation of environmental uh, you know, site assessments under the CEQA world. We have um, site restoration. We've got a lot of um, you know, cleanup activities that we have to do. The port is over 100 years old, and so there's always little things that we have to clean up. Uh, we've got a water quality team that makes sure that we're meeting all the state and federal requirements for water quality. And then, of course, we have an air quality team that works with um, the port and all of our tenants to implement clean air programs. Right. I'm involved with all of it. it. Sounds like you have a full plate. A lot of our listeners may not appreciate the scale of the Port of Los Angeles and really its role in the global economy. Can you speak to that and give help give some perspective on the scope, size, and influence of the port? Sure. The port is over 100, it's actually 114 years old. Uh, we're the number one container port in the Western Hemisphere. Um, we have 7,500 acres of land and water and 43 miles of waterfront. Um, our, our cargo touches every one of the 435 congressional districts in the United States. Um, we're uh, either directly or indirectly uh, responsible for about one in nine jobs in the region, which works out to be about a million jobs. Um, and in the last fiscal year, we moved uh, just under 11 million TEUs, that's 20-foot equivalent units of cargo. So um, a lot of activity here at this port, and, and we're proud to be a part of it. Is a, a million jobs, that really is, you know, um massive when you when you think about it in terms of the scale of employers um is there something geographically about los angeles that makes it um such an attractive destination for a shipping port well it's uh it's a it's a great location one of the reasons that the port of los angeles is is really been as successful as it has been is that we have an extraordinary amount of infrastructure here to support the movement of uh, cargo, so we we uh, um, have uh, uh, up to 100 trains moving in and out of the area. Uh, we've got an extensive highway network. Um, we're able to move cargo very quickly from from uh, ships inland, and then of course we're uh, you know a gateway to the Pacific uh, because of the fact that you know a lot of the cargo, a lot of the uh, manufacturing that occurs overseas is in Asia. And uh, so we're kind of a gateway. And we believe that, you know, shipping through the Port of Los Angeles is the fastest and most efficient way to get cargo into the United States. And so we, we uh, with that infrastructure and, and uh, 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 as I said, rail and network and, and highway network, an extraordinary amount of uh, warehouses, we think that we're the most efficient way to move cargo. Now, are the containers coming into the Port of Los Angeles mostly going and staying within the United States, or does the port operate uh, primarily as a as a, a hub to some extent? Oh, when we when when cargo arrives at the Port of Los Angeles, 
it primarily is unloaded and moved inland. Um, it either is in the local and the regional, uh, you know, Los Angeles basin, which has 15 plus million people living here, or onward into uh, central areas of the United States through that, as I said, that rail and, and highway network that I referred to. Um, so it, 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 is, it, is, it is taken off of ships and transferred and moved inland. Interesting. Now, are there any pieces of cargo that make up a disproportionate amount of the imports and exports just to kind of get a sense of really what's going in and coming out of the port? Electronics, uh, uh, automobile uh, parts. Um, I think those are probably the biggest things that we move in and out um, uh, or in, I should say, into the port. Um, uh, paper is an export. Um, recyclable goods and so forth are moved out. But I think electronics and uh, automobile parts and, and so forth are probably our, our biggest uh, thing that we move in. Uh, I, I guess clothing, footwear, apparel. I, it's not surprising that something operating at that scale would require a lot of energy. And, you know, with that obviously comes questions of environmental ramifications. Can you speak to some of the efforts taken to uh, reduce the environmental impact of the port? Sure. I mean, we, we are, uh, we came to the conclusion almost 20 years ago that the only way for the port to grow is to, is to grow green. And we have to be respective of, of the impact of the port on, you know, adjacent communities and really the region and beyond. Um, so we, we have uh, really tried to focus on environmental programs. We, back in 2006, approved, a, uh, along with the port of Long Beach, which is our sister port next door, um, a groundbreaking clean air action plan, something that had never been done before. We identified programs to reduce emissions from the major sources of pollution at the port, the trucks, the trains, the ships, cargo handling equipment, and the harbor craft. And we've done, spent over $400 million over the last several years since that time on environmental programs and and uh, to reduce emissions from those source categories. And uh, we continue to do it. Um, we've had great success. We've reduced uh, diesel particulate matter emissions by uh, 87%, uh, NOx, oxide and nitrogen by over 60%, actually 62% to be exact, and uh, oxides of uh, uh, sulfur, 98% uh, reduction in emissions. But we, uh, we realize that we, have, we can't rest on our laurels um, we have to uh, keep going. Uh, we have to do more. Uh, we face, after COVID, probably the biggest crisis facing the world today is climate change. And we want to do our part to help, you know, be leaders in the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. And so we've set new targets for that going forward. And what are those new targets? Well, we've uh, identified zero, zero emissions. We have to reduce our, our reliance on combustion-based engine technologies, reduce the carbon intensity of our fuels. And to do that, we've set zero emission goals for ourselves. We've set uh, 2030 as a goal for zero emissions for cargo handling equipment at our terminals. In 2035, 
as a goal for zero emissions for uh, trucks, grades trucks servicing uh, our terminals. And so uh, those are two big goals. Uh, they're right around the corner. It seems like it's a long time from now, but really it's not, especially when you look at the planning horizons of uh, terminal operators and trucking companies. They've got to think ahead for their equipment uh, purchases and so forth. And so they're already starting to think about what they're going to do to move toward, toward zero emissions. And we have to do it. We have no choice. Um, our, the crisis we face with climate change is, is very serious and it requires imminent action. And we want to be a part of it. So with respect to the um, machinery used to take cargo off of the um, ships that are coming in, what are the ways that you can get that machinery down to zero emissions? Well, there really are, you know, technology to move towards zero emissions, first of all, is, is still emerging. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're actually learning more and more about different technologies and different techniques that can be used uh, to move towards zero emissions. But right now, the two primary areas that we see for the movement towards zero emissions is battery electric, you know, plug-in like automobiles, uh, you know, a battery electric technology, and then of course, hydrogen fuel cells, which we also see in passenger vehicles and some small trucks. And so those are the two areas that we see. Um, and we're working with the equipment manufacturers and, and also the operators of the equipment, both at the terminals and the, the trucking companies to really test and deploy early versions of battery electric heavy duty equipment, heavy duty trucks, as well as uh, uh, fuel cell, hydrogen fuel cell uh, versions of, of uh, terminal equipment and heavy duty trucks. And so um, those are the things that we're seeing. Um, I think, you know, it's going to take a while for that technology to really uh, evolve um, and, and reach the point where it can be deployed on a widespread basis. But we want to be uh, um, we want to be a, a test bed for this technology and help to facilitate its its uh, expansion and ultimately deployment at the port. What are the challenges you see in terms of scaling those types of new sustainable technologies? Well, as I said, the technology is new, and so since it's new right now, you know we're looking at prototypes that are very expensive. Um, we're testing a hydrogen fuel cell truck right now the prototypes cost a million dollars each that compares to with uh with you know a standard diesel truck that costs maybe one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. so um we're talking about substantial increase in cost um, the battery technology is a little bit cheaper but it's still a lot more expensive than a diesel we're looking at 350 to five hundred thousand dollars per unit uh, for a truck uh with a for a battery electric truck and in each case, the uh, the range is still is still developing. So we want to work with the the equipment manufacturers and the operators to really demonstrate that a market exists and essentially serve as market makers um, to really demonstrate that this market exists not just at the port, but throughout heavy industry and throughout all the ports uh, and along the west coast and beyond. All right, we got to take a break. This is Unite and Heal America of Matt Matter and Stigora Supermonium filling in, and we'll be right back. 
As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. It's Tagore. I'm sitting in for Matt. We have Chris Cannon from the Los Angeles Port Authority. Prior to the break, Chris was discussing with us some of the emerging technologies being utilized to help the port lower its uh, emissions. Um, Discussing some of the challenges, Chris, incorporating certain new technologies such as hydrogen vehicles and um, battery-powered vehicles, and I think some of what you mentioned were the, um, you know, just simply the financial cost because these are new and emerging technologies. A question I had is just what the mechanism that the port would use for incentivizing these types of technologies. Does the port itself own these trucks and um, machinery or are these operated by third parties? And how does the port um, impose these types of regulations that would incentivize these new technologies on the third parties? First of all, the port uh, really doesn't own the equipment. The equipment is owned by trucking companies that that work with the port um, and and uh, and obviously the terminals themselves uh, own own the equipment, um, and they're the ones that operate it. Uh, as far as incentivizing, so we're not regulators, and we don't set regulations. We don't have that regulatory authority, um, but we can do things like uh, provide financial incentives, um, uh, you know, for people who um, to help, you know, do grants um, uh, to help them get uh, money to operate the equipment. Uh, for trucks, for instance, one of the things we, we've talked about doing is, is having a, a priority uh, uh, appointment system so that if you're driving uh, the cleanest technology, uh, you can, can you know, get, get into the terminal faster, move your cargo in and out faster. Um, and so there's an incentive there because the more times you can get in and out of a terminal, um, you know, the more... Um, you're able to 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 you know satisfy your customers, and then that that of course helps the bottom line for those operators. Um, as far as terminals are concerned, it's the same thing. We try at least our best to help you know support with with um, technology or excuse me grants to help them uh, deploy new technologies. Um, most of the terminals have found that the equipment works. The ones that we've been working with, um, when they do test it. And they're able to use it. It works very well, um, and for them, it's part of their own business model to market to others that they're using the cleanest technology, and that cargo can be moved through their terminals uh, very efficiently and using the best technology that exists in the world. And that that's a real selling point um, for terminals, and also for trucking companies when they come and pick up cargo, and and they can market themselves to say that they've got the cleanest equipment and the cleanest technology and that cargo is being moved um, in a way that, that, you know, is green and, <laughs> and is good for the environment. And we find that, that once that happens, um, you know, once they're able to do that, um, you know, it works. The problem again is the cost. Um, as I said, the cost for battery electric 
trucks is three or four times what a, a diesel truck costs for for uh, uh, a fuel cell hydrogen fuel cell truck it's five or six times what a diesel truck would cost um, there's infrastructure if you if you're going to have a, a battery electric truck you've got to run a lot of infrastructure into your your um, your home base or someplace uh, for charging and then there's just the time it takes to charge it you know it takes a while for a truck two three four hours um, for a truck to charge now with hydrogen fuel cell you don't have quite the infrastructure problems because it is just like a gas station you you fill up the tank with hydrogen instead of other fuels so that's an advantage but as i said the the you know the, the equipment itself is even more expensive um, um, than uh, than you know uh, the battery electric equipment um, so so these are the challenges that you face and and you know these are the things that we're helping to work with the operators to help them you know overcome some of these things as well as they begin to deploy these technologies sure and we talked a bit about some of the um, emissions and pollutants that are related to the uh, delivery trucks and the terminals. Are there pollutants associated with just the the ship the shipping uh, boats? Well, there are uh, the, the main pollutants that we track and that we we began to track when we started to do our cleaner action plan are diesel particulate matter, which is very important. That's the black carbon emissions that comes out of a diesel engine, and it's a cancer-causing agent. Um, second, um, there is uh, SOx, sulfur oxides, um, which is uh, you know another pollutant that is primarily resulting from the fuel used by the ships. Um, and then NOx, oxides of nitrogen, um, which are, are also a uh, pollutant associated with emissions from um, heavy-duty equipment it relates to the temperature of the emissions and, and other things, the nitrogen in the air. And so all of these things are, are major pollutants. And then, of course, CO2, which is the, the, you know, the greenhouse gas-causing uh, element, which is extremely important in our emissions inventory. And by the way, the way we track our programs, every year we do a very detailed inventory of all the emissions from every single piece of equipment that operates in and around the port we it's a very very detailed emissions inventory we look at all the trucks all the trains all the the, the cargo handling equipment um, tugboats everything uh, we we write down all of them uh, we get the fuel use um, we get the um, duty cycle and and so forth and all of it gives us uh, uh, an idea of exactly what kind of emissions are occurring and allows us to plan for, you know, where the biggest sources of emissions are and where we need to focus our efforts and, and monies. But getting back to ships, and you mentioned that, um, one of the best ways to control emissions from ships is to plug them into shore power. Um, when they arrive at a berth, uh, they turn off their main engines and we have them turn off their auxiliary engines and, and, and literally plug into electricity there at the, shore, at the shore. We're the first to do that anywhere in the world for a container ship. Um, it's now a regulation in the state of California based on the success we had, but we were the very first to do that and we did it 16 years ago. Um, and that's one of the best ways to control emissions. Another thing we do with ships is slow them down. Um, starting at 40 nautical miles from the coast of, of uh, the port, uh, we ask them to slow down uh, 
uh, normal speed out in mid-ocean is 20 plus knots. We asked them to slow down to 12 knots. And um, by slowing them down that much, um, it's a dramatic reduction in emissions coming from those ships. And it's very similar to what if you were driving in your car, when you go to work, <laughs> you go 80 miles an hour down the highway, it's probably fun and you're having a good time. But if you slow down to 50, um, your carbon footprint would be much better and your emissions would be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just works the same way. <laughs> like when you're running low on gas, then you, you know, you ease up off the gas a little bit to make sure you can get to the gas station. <laughs> That's exactly right. It, it works out just like that. And, and your engine, there's a sweet spot that the engine runs at. Um, it's most efficient. It's most fuel um, uh, efficient and, and reduces emissions. And that sweet spot is not 80 miles an hour that we all like to, you know, uh, see people, you know, you see people driving down the highway at 75 miles an hour on the highway. That's not the sweet spot. The sweet spot's about 50. And, and that's where you get, you know, the most efficient operation of that, of that engine. Is there a role for solar technologies uh, currently? Sure. Sure. Um, we, I mean, that's a great uh, clean source of energy. And we, we believe that it's important. Our main uh, harbor building, our harbor association building, where our offices are, are at, um, is powered by solar. Um, our cruise terminal is fully power, powered by solar. And we're doing a really interesting project at one of our uh, 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 you know, cargo terminals where we have solar. We're installing solar power on top of all of it, the warehouses that are at the terminal. Um, and then that solar power is captured and stored in giant batteries. They're heavy-duty uh, one-plus megawatt batteries. And then that allows, after hours, when the sun goes down, um, those, the power can be used from those batteries. And we use, we use that to power zero-emissions uh, equipment at the terminals. So forklifts and um, yard tractors and everything can operate at the terminal as well as, uh, you know, cargo or drage trucks that actually can come in and pick up cargo. Um, that's a really interesting technology, and, and it's all powered by solar. We're still, it's, it's in emerging stage as well. We're still developing and testing it, but we're pretty excited. And we got grant money from the state of California to help us develop that, so they're kind of partnering with us to Do develop you think the, that program. The pricing of that, as the technology stands currently, uh, is low enough to make it feasible to scale? You mean uh, using solar power? <clears throat> yes. yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, the, so the, the pricing for solar power um, works. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll, um, the, the infrastructure, the hardware cost will go down as time progresses. But even now, it's a, a worthwhile uh, and, and cost-effective investment. It's not the price of the solar that, again, is the challenge is the price of the equipment, the cargo handling equipment, the trucks, and so forth that you use um, to, you know, that you power with the solar and the batteries, those are still high. And so those are the ones that we, we believe in time with economies of scale and with increased usage and, 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 and you know, proving that the technology works, those prices will come down. And so yeah. we're, we're confident in that. We got to take a break. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter. We have Chris Cannon from the Los Angeles Port Authority on. 
Chris, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the great work that the port is doing to reduce um, emissions at the Port of Los Angeles. From an operational perspective, what operations at the plant are the largest emitters of pollutants? Ships. <clears throat> the biggest the biggest source of emissions at the port is ships. Um, and and then after that it's trucks. But interestingly, when we we uh, uh, we do our evaluations of greenhouse gas and CO two, um, we evaluate you know emissions from ships. Um, um, I uh, uh, you know it, it's actually the the drage trucks which are the source. Um, so you know ships and drage trucks are probably the biggest sources of emissions with drage trucks being a particular concern for co2 emissions and what is a drage truck it's a term that we use <laughs> i had to look it up too when i very first years ago started working at the port it, it just it's just a regular heavy duty truck like the one you see driving on the highway the reason it's called a drage truck is because it makes uh, short moves. Uh, you know, the, some of the trucks that you see on the highway are long haul trucks. They go long distances across the country and so forth. Drage trucks operate just in a region. Um, and so they're going back and forth to warehouses and storefronts and things like that from a port um, or a rail yard. And, you know, they make short runs. And so those are called drage trucks, which are just essentially short haul heavy duty trucks. Now, we were talking about some of the things that the port was doing to reduce emissions uh, for shipping, such as the reducing the speed at which the ships travel and providing charging stations um, when they arrive at the port. Is there technology that you feel is um, emerging and available that could actually reduce the emissions of the ship when it's operating? Well. There are ways to, you mean, while it's operating, well, the, the best way to reduce emissions uh, from a ship uh, while it's operating is to slow it down. Um, and I mentioned that. Uh, but the other thing is to use clean fuels. Um, and, you know, now the US EPA requires uh, that, that the very cleanest fuels be, be used by ships within 200 miles of the coast of North America. But I'm proud to say that we were we were the ones that first pioneered the use of, um, you know, giving incentives to ships to use the very cleanest fuels. And we did it before EPA or anybody else um, got involved. And so um, that's something that, you know, we're very proud that we helped to pioneer. Um, but then the other thing is the actual engines of the ships themselves. Um, you know, there are technologies now to reduce. NOx emissions for SCR units, selective catalytic reduction units, and other technologies um, are are um, are being used to reduce ship emissions. And then, you know, we believe that that as we get, you know, further along, even in this decade, we've got to start looking at at reduced carbon fuels. Um, so. Um, zero emission or at least near zero emission ships uh we're we're, we're actually in the process of of talking to the, the uh, one of the tugboat operators thinking about using a hydrogen fuel cell for a tugboat um, we know other ship operators are, are starting to use alternative fuels um, and so so um, 
zero emissions equipment or ultra clean emissions equipment on the ships uh, ultimately is is what's going to be needed. Uh, it's just that it's going to take a while. The ships, once they're put into to service, they stick around for 20, 30 years. And so we begin to transition the, the, the technologies. We're going to have to look for ways to incentivize the ship operators to uh, to, to change that equipment out sooner. And, and uh, that's one of the challenges that we face. We, we're looking forward to working with the shipping lines and others to find ways to incentivize the, those kinds of transitions. What are some of the ways that you think that you might be able to incentivize the ship operators to adopt some of these technologies? Well, we have programs now where, we, you know, there's, there's um, reductions in, in uh, you know, dockage fees, berthing fees, um, um, you know, other kinds of reductions in fees that, that they, um, um, you know, they incur when they arrive at ports. Uh, sometimes just a, a financial incentive if they bring, you know, cleanest technology, maybe they get, you know, um, a bonus or some other sort of financial incentive from the ports um, that helps. Uh, we're working with um, ports in Asia now uh, through the C40 organization um, to establish, you know, a green corridor, which would be um, a way to to incentivize clean ship operations on both ends of the journey. Um, so, you know, all of this um, is voluntary because we don't regulate the ships, um, but working with the uh, shipping lines and the ship operators, um, you know, to find, you know, ways to do this, we can use incentives and other things. Um, and this kind of a green shipping line where we create the incentives on both ends of the journey helps um, because that allows um, for an even greater potential financial benefit for the ship operators um, if they realize that they can, you know, on both ends of a journey um, receive um, some kind of reward. So these are the things that we're working on, um, just talking to ship operators. And then, as I said, you know, Similar to what we talked about earlier with, with other equipment operators, a lot of the shipping lines have said to us that it is, it is important that they can market to their customers that they are using the cleanest technology available. And so if they can tell their customers that their ships are the cleanest ships in the ocean, um, and that they are moving cargo in a way that is the most environmentally friendly way they can, um, that's, that's a plus for them. And they see that as an opportunity to get more business um, because a lot of the, the cargo owners now are, are, are starting to do that. Um, we're, I won't give names because I don't want to, you know, um, uh, you know, give advantage to anybody, but we know sure. some of the big names that, that you all know. I could give some of the names and you'd recognize them. Some of the biggest cargo owners in the world are starting now to look for ways to support the movement of their cargo in all phases, not just marine, but on land as well, using the very cleanest technology. And they, they want to be able to market to their customers that that's what they do. So the shipping lines are keen on this. The railroads are starting to get keen on it. The trucking lines are, the terminals. All of the different links of the goods movement chain are now starting to ask themselves if there's a way for them to, to uh, develop clean technologies and zero emission technologies in particular. Um, and these are things that we hope to help to facilitate at, at the port. Well, that's great. And 
you know, this is all super interesting. We're living in a exciting time with all these new technologies. Um, you know, you talked about some of the great work that you had done in reducing um, some emissions over the last uh, 10, 20 years. How, how were you able to do that prior to the advent of a lot of these technologies? We set goals. We, we you know, very um, carefully uh, spent time working with uh, all of the equipment manufacturers and, uh, and understanding the science of, of uh, emissions um, and technologies and so forth. And we tried to learn what we think was possible, what we thought was possible. And then also, you know, maybe just go a little bit further than what we thought was possible to kind of push ourselves. And, and, and industry was open to talking to us about these things. And they continue to be open to talking to us about looking for new ways to push for cleaner technologies. And so that's how we did it. We set goals for ourselves based on where we thought we could go and what we thought industry was capable of handling. We work closely with them. We also work closely with the regulators to, you know, because they are talking to industry and they're understanding what, you know, technologies exist and where they want to go. And we talk to the community groups and others who are very interested in, in these organizations or, excuse me, in these um, programs. And we, we set goals for ourselves. Um, you know, we had a clean truck program, for instance, that, that, you know, where we set goals for emissions reductions with trucks. Well, that was a combination of talking to the state and, and local agencies about, you know, where they want to go with clean technology and clean trucks. And, you know, they're pretty smart and they know they understand the industry pretty well. And so we talked to them and then we talked to the trucking operators and then the trucking manufacturers. And all of it together allowed us to, to set some goals for ourselves for trucks. And, and um, you know, we are, we're kind of pushing, but, but um, um, you know, that's what we that's how we did it. And it's done in the past. We hope to do that again, where we set zero emission goals for ourselves. We first mentioned zero emissions and we got a lot of groans and eye rolling. Um, but, you know, actually industry began to embrace it. And we were really happy that the governor of California uh, announced through an executive order that he wants to push for zero emissions. He set the same goal of 2035 as we did. And we were very proud that he did that. Um, so there's starting to be a consensus now developing on, you know, we've got to do this. And, and it just turns out that the time we said is, is good. All right. Well, we got to take a quick break. You're listening to Uniting Heal America of Matt Mattern. All right. You're listening to Uniting Heal America of Matt Mattern. It's Tagore Subramaniam sitting in for Matt. We got Chris Cannon from the LA Port Authority with us. Chris, we've, we're talking about the goal of zero emissions. You know, what what does zero emissions mean? <laughs> it is a it is a term that is is uh, used differently by uh, different people. When we say zero emissions, it's important that you ask that question actually, because when we say zero emissions, we refer to tailpipe emissions. So zero tailpipe emissions. Uh, in this case, there are no tailpipes on on zero emission technologies. The the battery electric trucks and the hydrogen fuel cell trucks don't have a tailpipe. Um, and so we, we say zero tailpipe emissions, but the reason your question is a good one is because there are emissions associated with the creation of the electricity and the electricity that's used to charge a battery or the creation of the hydrogen, which is used to use a hydrogen fuel cell. So 
it's not completely zero emissions because there is uh, there are emissions associated with the creation of those of those energies of those fuels and so it's important that not only do we have zero emission technology zero tailpipe emissions in heavy duty operation of ports and other heavy duty industries but that the creation of electricity and the creation of hydrogen and other fuels that lead to these zero emission technologies are also done in a way that's green and clean. So we need clean power generation. We need clean and green hydrogen fuel, hydrogen, excuse me, generation. And those are important too. We can't forget about that part of it um, because that has to be done as well. And when we talk about the goal of reaching zero emissions by 2030, are we talking about zero emissions across the, the port or is it um, a specific aspect of the port's operations? Well, we set a goal of zero emissions for container terminal equipment by 2030. And we set a goal of zero emissions for drayage trucks operating at the ports by 2035. Um, there still are other sources, as I said earlier, the biggest source of emissions is still um, the trucks, um, then, or excuse me, is still the, the ships. And, you know, the, the, let me say it again, the biggest source of emissions is the ships. Um, we can't get to zero emissions on the ships by 2030, but we're working on it. We want to, we're, we're, believe it or not, we're actually trying to find ways to reduce emissions from ships. And that's a, that's a goal we've set for ourselves is to really try and take a big chunk out of those emissions as we can over the course of this decade. Uh, we won't get to full zero emissions, but we can do that. Uh, we're going to plug them all into shore power. So they'll have no emissions when they're at birth. Uh, we hope to have that done by 2030. Um, and as I told you, we're going to reduce the emissions, um, you know, continue to reduce the emissions of the ships as they come into to birth and come into the port by slowing them down. Um, and so we're talking about making sure that all the ships are slowed down. Um, cleaner fuels, um, you know, are things that we're, we're talking about now. Harborcraft, I mentioned, we're talking to one of the major tugboat operators to do a hydrogen fuel cell Harbourcraft tugboat. So that's kind of cool. Um, new, it's not something that, that has been done much. Um, we're working with the, uh, the uh, major uh, rail operators to do a, a zero emission uh, locomotive. Uh, we're actually part of a test to develop one. Um, and so it's going to be tested here at the Port of Los Angeles. And we're pretty excited about that. Um, so, you know, all of the different sources of emissions um, are, are being, you know, we're, we aren't going to uh, leave any of them out. But we set the full zero emission goals for the cargo handling equipment and for the trucks for 2030 and 2035, because we think those are the technologies where, you know, we can get to zero and the others we're going to just get as low as we can, as soon as we can. Well, that would be great if we could do that. I, I, we've been talking a lot about air pollutants and air emissions. What kind of impact does the port have on the water surrounding the port? Are there pollutants going into the water and are there efforts being done to kind of reduce any um, impact those might have? Well, it's interesting. We, we, uh, um, we have, um, uh, you know, as I said, the largest container port in the Western Hemisphere. And 
uh, you would think that with all that activity, you know, you'd have a lot of dirty water. And, and the fact is the Port of Los Angeles um, has very, very clean water. Um, it, we very rarely exceed any kind of standards for water quality. Uh, we do testing on a monthly basis and we always meet the standards. We, we uh, do every five years a full um, ecological study of the port. And we just finished one and we showed that we have uh, over 1,000 species of fish, birds, and invertebrates, algae, uh, marine ma mammals uh, thriving in our ports. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, we've got a lot of field grass. We've got large kelp forests. Um, we see a lot of marine mammals such as sea lions and, and harbor seals. Um, we have dolphins and even gray whales that occasionally come into the port. Um, we're very, very excited about that. And um, it's pretty amazing when you see all of that. Um, and, you know, people who, who are, um, are into it, who, you know, keep track of that are always amazed at, at how clean the water is. And it's because we've implemented programs to, you know, assure that, that um, you know, discharge into the port is, is avoided um, and that, you know, um, the ships cannot just dump into the, the ports when they arrive here. Um, and so we have a lot of different programs to make sure that um, the, the uh, quality of the water quality is good. And it's been very successful. We're very, very proud of that. Well, that's great to hear. You know, obviously we're living through some extraordinary times right now with the COVID pandemic. What type of impact has the pandemic had on the port's operations? And is there any environmental component to that? Well, it was uh, at the beginning of the, the, the pandemic, we our cargo volume um, just went straight down. Um, we were substantial reduction in cargo volumes uh, in the beginning. Um, and then it sputtered for a while. Um, and then all of a sudden, the cargo volumes went up as people were still living at home, but they were, you know, using um, uh, services delivering uh, through, again, I'm not going to mention names of companies, but, you know, you can push buttons on your phone these days and have things delivered to your house. And so um, people are doing that. And as a result, it's led to an extraordinary increase in, in goods moved into the ports. We we're seeing record cargo volumes. Uh, in the last few months um, because of that. And so that's the, been the result of, of you know, the pandemic. Um, as far as our air quality programs and water quality programs, we have not stopped at all. Uh, we continue to require the same um, uh, environmental controls of our tenants and of the ship operators. Uh, occasionally we've had, the, the, the governor has has had a, a, a little short periods here and there when we get super hot that he's had to have us for a three or four day period, maybe stop plugging the ships into shore power because of uh, electricity shortages in Southern California. But even those have been few and far between. So we've, we've done our best to, to do, um, to reduce emissions and continue to do it. One major problem that we do have though, is because of all that extra cargo that's coming in, um, we have a lot of ships sitting out at Anchorage waiting for berth, and there are a lot of emissions associated with that. So we're, we're trying to work with the shipping lines to find ways um, for uh, you know, us to plan in the future to avoid ships sitting out at Anchorage um, because those emissions from ships sitting out at Anchorage are not good. 
And uh, that's something that we need to work on to try and, and work with the industry and the shipping lines to avoid in the future. And even now, to reduce the anchorages uh, even, even today. That's great to hear. Um, you know, you were trained as a lawyer. Can you just d- discuss a little bit before we close the show on, on your career path and specifically, you know, how you transitioned into public service and, um, you know, working at the port? I'm lucky. Um, I get a chance to do something that, uh, that, that, you know, kind of combines a lot of different things in my background. I, I studied um, government in college and also uh, did a lot of studying of science. Um, and then I, of course, went to grad school and law. And so, um, I, you know, here at the port, we have a lot of, of um, challenging um, technical issues. We have a lot of policy questions. Uh, we have a lot of issues that um, require, um, um, you know, legal uh, knowledge and, you know, understanding of the laws and how we have to comply with those laws uh, for environmental purposes. And so I get to do a little bit of everything and all, all the things that kind of match my background. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more excited about what I do. And, and you know, I get to be on the cutting edge of, of you know, things like moving toward cleaner fuels and reducing our carbon footprint and new technologies. It's just so much fun and, and it's a blessing to be able to do it. Chris, if our listeners want to learn more about what's happening at the port, uh, what sort of resources are available for them? Portofla.org. And uh, we have a pretty robust website that has um, a lot of information about the port, including all of our environmental programs. And so uh, you, can, you can look at the website and, and find out what we're doing. And if you have any questions, anything we can do to, to be of service, we'd be happy to help. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show and for all your hard work at the Port of Los Angeles. Um, it was an educational experience. And uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matters, Tagore Subramaniam, sitting in for Matt. Thank you. Thank you. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968.